If you turn now in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, we'll be there in just a second. You know, life, life happens. Sometimes things hit us and, you know, it doesn't really change us that much. It's just a thing. It's a blip. And then other times an event will happen in our lives that changes our life forever. We have a word for those. Like a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I went to Florida to stay with our foster grandson while our daughter was leading a team, a missions team in Peru. And you heard that right. We're grandparents. Uh, our, our single daughter, who's not even dating anybody, is fostering this young boy and hoping to be able to adopt him. And, you know, I think... Okay, Karis and I were just fine before that happened. Uh, we were planning a trip to Italy. It was going to be a really nice time. And now suddenly we're grandparents. It's a whole new, whole new deal for us. Life changes. You get surprised. And then uh, last weekend I got to, we got to celebrate the wedding of, our, of Ben Davis. If Some of you might remember Ben from last summer. Ben was an intern here on staff at New River. Ben is our nephew, and he married a lovely Christian young lady, and uh, their wedding was just beautiful last Saturday, and really honored the Lord in, the, in their relationship and in the wedding. I just love it when you see young people doing it right. You know, it's just such a blessing to watch that. So I'm there at the wedding talking to our brother-in-law, Tim, about how things are now changing in the family. We're now plus one. Now Ben's got a wife, and my mom's already stressed out about Christmas. Where, where's everybody going to sleep? The, the sleeping arrangements have all been messed up now at Christmas and Thanksgiving. You know, the whole, the whole balance in the house has now been disrupted because now Ben has a wife. So what's that going to look like at Thanksgiving? We don't know. We'll, I'll let you know how it goes when we experience it. The thing is, is huh? Yeah, yeah, God will take, you're right, he'll take care of it, you're right, Maria. So the thing is, is we have a word for these events that happen in our lives, and our life is forever changed. We have a word for that. We call it a new normal. You gotta, you've got to adjust to the new normal, because the way things were, that's not happening anymore, man. That's, that is over, and now you're moving on to something else. It's a new normal. You know that on the day that you invited Jesus to be your Savior, the day that, that you received Jesus' invitation to come into your life, to be in charge of your life, my friend, that was a day that your life was changed forever, literally forever. And, and you know that you are now in a new normal. The, the God of the universe doesn't just enter someone's life and that person remain unchanged. He comes and you, and you are it changes things. So I'm asking you something. Are you any different as a result of Jesus entering your life? Different way of thinking, different beliefs, different feelings, different politics, different way to spend money, different way to spend your leisure time, different friends, different dating relationships, different everything. Anything different? Because the, the God of the universe moves in and it makes a change and now you are in a new normal. And you say, well, I don't know, I don't feel that different. Maybe it's because you're in denial of what actually happened on the day that you received Jesus. Or maybe something, or maybe, maybe you didn't receive Jesus. I mean, like, there's options there. I'm just saying that the God of the universe doesn't move in and not rearrange the furniture a little bit. You know what I mean? He doesn't move in and doesn't mess up the feng shui in your life a little bit. You know what I mean? Don't judge me for feng shui. I don't even know what it means. It just sounded cool. So, right? God, God my point is God changes things when he, when he moves in. That, that there's a new normal. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says that if anyone is in Christ, he, she, is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. Your decision to invite Jesus to be your Savior 
creates a new normal in your life. And that's what we're looking at this morning in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. That's where we're at. We've been talking for months now in the book of Romans. We've been studying this book. And the first 11 chapters of Romans, they all really have to do with this thing called the gospel. And he's laying this groundwork for the gospel. And what the gospel is, is it's basically this. It's that we are all, it's a message that says we are all equally equally loved by God. Every one of us. And we are also all equally lost, separated from God. And we all have an equal opportunity to be restored to God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And he spends the first 11 chapters in Romans really laying that out. And now you come to Romans 12, and now it's okay. Here's how the new normal, here's what the new normal looks like. Here's how you, here's how you put some legs to this new life you've got. Here's what it looks like. You ready? Here's what he says. Verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Would you pray with me for a minute? Father, I thank you for your word and the power of it. And we invite you now, Holy Spirit, to take this word that you wrote (laughs) challenge the snot out of me, God, I pray. Change my heart, oh God. Encourage, convict, do what you need to do, Holy Spirit, in my life through this word today. Give us the courage, God, to live it out, we pray. And we ask, I pray, that that when we're done with this, Lord, that we would actually be able to say honestly, I I really love the way that God does things because I think God's way is the best way. I pray, Lord, that that would be our testimony. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen? Okay, so now we're going to start with the end of this passage. The very verse 2 ends with this little statement. You see that? It says, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see that? So that's where these first two verses are heading. He's saying that if you follow it, if you, if you do these things, then you will actually come to this place where you would say, huh, God's will is actually really good. I think God's will is the best thing that could ever happen in my life. He says that you would be able to test it and approve it. You see that? See that? Test it. In other words, try it out. Give it a try. Do it. And then after you test it, you'll approve. You'll say, that actually really worked. Listen, God's will, this life that you have in Jesus, it only works one way, full on. There's no reverse. There's no first gear, second gear, third gear, fourth gear. It's only overdrive, literally. I've got to go all the way, and then it works. If you say, you know, I've tr- I, tried, I know people that have tried the God thing, and then they got disappointed because it didn't work. Let me tell you something. Tell you something. God's will works. The deal is this. I can't have one foot here and one foot here and expect it to work. There's no, there's no line that we walk in the Christian life where you sort of teeter on the line between the world and God. Like, it doesn't work that way. If you're trying to do that, it's going to fail. The only way 
to play this game is full on, all the way in. You're going to see that in a second. And he says, when you do, you test it, so you jump in all the way, and then you approve it. You go, man, God's will actually really does work. And not only that, you discover the joy in it. You see that? We, just, we attest and approve his good, pleasing, perfect will. Catch that? Pleasing. Like, dare I say God's will is actually pleasurable? We typically don't think of pleasure and God being in the same sentence. But I would say to you that that's because you're bound up in religion. Religion doesn't allow you to enjoy Jesus. You know, one of our basics as a church is to enjoy Jesus because we happen to believe Jesus is actually very enjoyable. And he's someone that you can actually really get to know and really get into. He really does. He really is that awesome to be with. And if you don't enjoy Jesus, here's the deal. It's, you know, here's what I find. A lot of religious people, they find enjoyment in the same thing that the world finds enjoyment in. And not all of it's bad, hanging with my friends, whatever, this, you know, fun stuff, a party here, a party there. It's all, not all of it's terrible. Some of it is. Not all of it. And, and to a religious person, they find joy in the things of the world. And then Jesus, he's that boring thing I have to do on Sunday so I don't go to hell. And then they wonder why God feels far away. Look at... Yeah. Jesus wants you to come to the place where you actually discover, wow, God's will is the best thing that could ever happen to me. Think about this. What makes heaven? We all, everybody wants to, most people want to go to heaven. And I would say some people want to go to heaven just because it's the better alternative. I don't want to go to hell, so heaven's better. But then there's other people that want to go to heaven because they actually say, you know, heaven is really an awesome place. Well, what makes heaven such an awesome place? What makes heaven so heavenly? You know what makes it heavenly? God's will is done perfectly there. That's what makes it so heavenly. That God just blinks. God thinks a thought. God makes a suggestion. 10,000 angels jump to making it happen. His will is done perfectly in heaven. That's what makes heaven so heavenly. And so if I want heavenly relationships, you want a heavenly marriage? You want a heavenly work life? You, you, want, a, you, you want a heavenly ex job? You want a heavenly, we want a heavenly church? <laughs> then you know what we want? We want God's will to be done. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven to earth. See, I want God's will to be done. It's actually the best thing that could ever happen to me. How does that happen? How do I come to the place where I can discover that, hmm, this is good. God knows what he's talking about. I, I like God's way better than my way because how do I reach that place? Well, he tells three things got to change. In this new normal that you've got called your life in Christ, three things got to change. First, I need to change my motives. I need a new motive. I need a new mission. I need a new mindset. Can everybody say the three M's with me? I need a new motive. I need a new mission. I need a new mindset. That's where we're going to go. So he starts off first with a new motive. Look how the verse begins, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies. In view of God's, that's my motive. God's mercy is what motivates me. Now what are God's mercies? He spent the whole First 11 chapters of Romans laying out God's mercy. Let's just sail through it. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. You know, a lot of people read that verse backwards. We think, if I repent, then I get God's kindness. That's not what the verse says. The verse says that it's God's kindness that leads me to repentance. It's God's love. It's his mercy. It's his kindness to me that actually motivates me to want to change. And then you go to Romans chapter 5, verse 9. It says that we are no longer under wrath. We've been saved from wrath through Jesus Christ. You catch that? We've been saved from God's wrath through Christ. 
Look at God isn't mad at you. He's not. Part of what Jesus did when he hung on the cross is Jesus absorbed all of the wrath of God towards your sin and mine. Oh, our sin was heinous, absolutely. And what you see in the horrific picture that took place in Christ's life as he hung on the cross is you saw the God of the universe pounding and pounding and pounding and wailing and exhausting all of his wrath towards our sin at Jesus. You know, we often think that Jesus died in order to change our opinion of God. No, Jesus died to change God's opinion of us. The Bible tells us that, that we were by nature objects of wrath. But the key word there is were. We were, by nature, objects of wrath. The wrath is gone. God spent it on Christ. That's mercy, friend. He doesn't motivate you and me by anger. He, Romans, let's keep on walking through. Romans 6.23. I apologize, I don't have these on the slides. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. God's gift is is, is life for a year or two? No, God's gift is eternal life. That's quite a gift. You go to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not condemned. You, you get in this picture? Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be. He promised it. So when he says that you've got the mercy of God, that's what he's talking about. He spent the first 11 chapters in Romans laying all that out for you. This is the mercy of God. In view of these mercies, he says, come on, you're under mercy. That's good. God doesn't motivate you with guilt. Here's how guilt works. Guilt says, oh, your behavior makes me so sad. Oh, I'm just so disappointed in you. Uh, that's guilt. God doesn't play that card. Religion, religion's a way to motivate you. Religion says, hey, you better do what's right or you're going to burn in hell. Well, I, okay. I mean, that's a motivation, but God doesn't use that motivation. Bribery is another way to motivate people. Hey, do what's right. You're going to go to heaven. Let me dangle the carrot in front of you. Everybody follow the carrot. Do what's right. That's bribery. God doesn't do that. Preachers like me have done that. It's awful, but God doesn't operate that way. No, God motivates you and me with mercy. And you know what mercy says? Mercy says this. Oh, I love this. God says, hey, my beloved, I'm going to give you everything I've got. Now, why don't you let me show you how we can enjoy this? He hands you the keys to the kingdom. He's like, come on, let's, let's learn together how we can enjoy this. See, that's mercy. You're not earning it. He gave it to you. You didn't, you, he just handed it. He handed you the keys. <laughs> I love that. And are you going to scratch it once in a while? Oh, yeah, probably every day. I'm going to scratching it. But look, at I love, here's, here's what I love. James chapter 2, verse 13, it says, mercy triumphs over judgment. So you put a scratch in it, God doesn't judge that. He's like, okay, we're learning how to use this. We're learning. And then I love Psalms 23. You know Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yada, 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 yada. And it ends with, surely, finish this with me, you know it, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Sorry, Jonathan. Follow me all the days of my life. So you know what? Am I going to blow it? Yeah. Are you going to sin? Yes. But there's mercy for that. You know what I mean? It's like I, I blow it, I look behind me, and I see mercy with the dustpan. Okay, picking up. I say, thank you, Jesus. And then I go, God, don't you remember how I blew it yesterday? The Bible says, oh, my mercies are new every morning. 
Every morning? Every morning. New mercies. God, you don't remember how I blew it yesterday? No, uh, mercy covered that, I guess. Oh, that's what you and I get to live under, friends. That's what we get. I love this one. I'll close this point out with this. There's, in Proverbs, there's a, a piece of wisdom given to this young guy by the name of King Lemuel. And we don't really know who King Lemuel was. We just know that he probably was an inexperienced king and no doubt was a pretty overwhelmed at the task that was before him as the king. And here's the wisdom that's given to King Lemuel in the book of Proverbs. It says this, it's not for kings, Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. It's not for kings. He's not, he's not knocking beer and wine. That's not the point. If that's what you think it is, you've missed the point. What he's saying is, is now that you're king, you've been elevated to a new level. You've been elevated to a new responsibility, a new position. And, and as king, you are setting the oppressed free. You're setting the captives free. You're bringing healing to the broken. You're bringing truth to the, you know, you're speaking truth to the lies. You're bringing hope to the hopeless. This is what the, this is the stuff of kings. And now that you're a king, King Lemuel, you know, stupid, that's just not you anymore. You used to get stupid, but now you, you don't need to get stupid anymore because you're the king. See, and I would say this to you, friends, son, daughter of the king of kings, co-heir with Christ, brother and sister of Jesus Christ, heir to the kingdom of God, King Lemuel, it's just not for you anymore. That stuff, it's just not for you. See, his mercy has put you in a new place, and now it's, okay, let's learn how to Let's learn how to enjoy this to the max. And, and one of the first things that he says to do is this. Now that, you got a new, now that you're driven by a new motive, new mercy, you're into these mercies, you've got a new mission. Here's what it says in verse 2, or back to, back to verse 1, rather, I apologize. It says, in view of God's mercy, see, to offer your bodies now as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. I offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do you know, you know who thinks I have a great body and he wants it? God. You go, I never thought about it that way. Yeah, he does. See, we think, my, we think my Christian walk is this internal spiritual thing. It's like, oh, it's just, you know, my, I, 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 it's private. My faith is private. Well, it's not. Because you, you realize God put you in a body. And your body is the only thing you have to express your faith. I, I can't express my faith. I don't have anything else. I only get one body. So it's all I got. For the time I'm on this planet, this is how I express my faith in the, way that I, in the way that I treat my body, in the way that I use my body. This is how I express my faith. It's how I express my spirituality, my walk with God. It's, this is all I got. He says, so you present your body as a living sacrifice. In other words, take that body of yours. Take every ounce of energy you have, every fiber of your being, and you go 100%, pedal to the metal, all out for God. I mean, burn a trail with your body. Present your body as a living sacrifice, he says. Philippians chapter 2, it says um, this, it tells us, now continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You're not working for your salvation. You're working out your salvation. Here's the difference. The word work out means that it's, it's the word for mining. 
That's literally the word, to mine in the original language, as though you're digging for gold or silver or some kind of precious jewel. And so you're working out. It's like God says, it's like your salvation is like this big field, this big piece of property. And God says, I'm going to give it to you. There it is. It's yours. And buried in this field are treasures untold. And he hands you a shovel and he says, start digging. It's all yours. Go for it. Get all that you can. Get everything you can out of this field. If there's a lot in there, you'll never exhaust it. Go for it. Work out your salvation, it says, with fear and with trembling. There's work to do, friends. You know, I, I love, you ever notice in the Bible that, uh, that God repeatedly tells the Israelites, hey, I'm going to give you the promised land. I've given you the promised land. And he even calls it promised land. As, it, as in, this is the land that I have promised to give you, the promised land. But then when the people of Israel show up at the border, God says, now fight for it. I, I, thought, you, I thought you gave it to us. I did. Fight for it. That seems weird to us, doesn't it? See, we have this mistaken idea that... If you just give somebody something for free, they will appreciate and cherish it forever and ever. You know that that's not the way human nature works, right? You know that. Every good parent knows, man, you make your kid work for stuff. I mean, you don't, you, they don't work for your love. I don't work for God's love. God loves me. I'm under his mercy. I don't work for his mercy. But he's like, there's so much more here for you. Get working. Get busy, boy. Come on, dig. I, 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 uh, it's, it's a, see, here's what I know. I know this, that God is infinite, that he's majestic, and he's mighty, and he's merciful, and he's, and he's awesome, and he's breathtaking, and, and he's powerful, and he's wise, and, and, and he's, and he's breathtaking, and, and he's omnipotent and omniscient and he's omnipresent and he's all of these things and I can spend the rest of my life pursuing him with 100% of my time and when I die I will still have just scratched the surface. God is that. We will spend forever discovering who God is. Forever. I'm convinced that the reason why the angels sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, you know, the Bible tells us they sing that all the time. And you think, well, that must be really boring. They've been singing the same tune for all these gazillions of years. Why doesn't it ever change? I think it's because as they're in the presence of God, God is continuously revealing himself. Every split second. And every time God reveals himself, it's another aspect of holiness. Holy. And the angel's like, holy, holy, holy. They never stop saying it because every split second they see something new about this infinite God. And it's holy. Holy, holy, holy. They're amazed by his holiness. That's you and me. I spend the rest of my life pursuing him. And I will still just be getting started. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, he, um, he, said, uh, he said, you certainly do not have as much of God as you need, but you do have as much of God as you want. So if all you want is five minutes of God on a Sunday morning, get my little shot in the arm for the week, you can have that. There's nothing wrong with that. Enjoy it. But friends... If you want the more of God, if you want to plumb the depths of God, if you want to explore this awesome God that you are now in relationship with, that's going to change your daily schedule. That's going to change how you function. Because he's worth every ounce of energy. He says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. See what I mean? We're not just dabbling in the Jesus thing here. It's not an invitation to dabble. It's an invitation to dive in. Another aspect of living sacrifice is this. 
So the word living sacrifice, sacrifice, is a reference to what happened in the Old Testament. Because the people in the Old Testament in those ancient times, when they went to worship God, like they would literally have to bring a lamb, an actual lamb. And so they brought Fluffy uh, to the priest at the temple, and they would offer the lamb to the priest, and the priest would take the lamb and slaughter it and on the altar and burn it up. And that was like their worship of God. Think about that lamb. That lamb was marked for sacrifice. And so that lamb fulfilled its very purpose in the moment that it died. Before it died, the lamb was just a pet. And after it died, its purpose had been served. It was done. So that lamb was actually living its purpose as it died. And you are called to be a living sacrifice, which means this is a perpetual state of being for you and me. I, I, I make the perpetual, I make a choice time and time and time again, a thousand times a day, that I use this body to honor God. I use this body to glorify God. And every time I do, I make a choice to worship. See, we think of worship as being this thing you do on a Sunday morning. And I'm so thankful for our worship team. They, they do a great job, don't they? I love worshiping with you guys on a Sunday. But you know, worship is so much more than that. Listen, last night when you chose to not get drunk, you actually made your body a living sacrifice. That was an act of worship. Well, I never thought about it that way. It was. And, you know, this week, earlier this week, when you were just super tired, and you were like, man, I just need some me time. That's what I need, some me time. And your kid wanted to read a story, and you decided to read a story with your child instead of having me time. You made yourself a living sacrifice. That was an act of worship. And, and, and when you... When you got up this morning and every bone in your body wanted to stay in bed, you're like, I'd rather just sleep today. It's Sunday. Hello. And you made the choice. You said, I'm going to get up. I want to worship God. I want to get to the house of God today. I want to celebrate him with my church family. When you made that choice to do that, you actually made yourself a living sacrifice. That was an act of worship. When you chose at Life Group last week to pray out loud, even though it's kind of uncomfortable, like, oh, I don't know if I can pray out loud really well, but you took the step to pray out loud in your life group, took the risk, you actually made yourself a living sacrifice. That was an act of worship. You see that? You started worshiping today long before the worship team hit the first chord. Because a living sacrifice does that. I'm literally using my body to honor the Lord in every way, shape, and form. Because God wants my body. Now, I'm functioning as a living sacrifice. I got a new motive. I've got a new mission. I'm going after God with everything I got. I've got to keep a new mindset. And that's the last one. We just cover this. Um, I went too long in the first service. Really, so I'm going to try to speed this up. Verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In this new normal that you and I have, I've got to get a new mindset. I've got to start thinking differently. Listen, the old thought patterns, they don't fit you anymore. They don't work in this new life. They just don't. We, we walk by faith now, not by sight. So that verse right there tells you, oh, there's a change in thinking. The, the way that I used to think, it does not work with this new life that I've been given in Christ. So I need to get a new mindset. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says that you and I have been given the mind of Christ. I love that. So now we have an advantage. I mean, when, when you gave your life to Jesus, God was like, 
boop, let me give you the mind of Jesus. He put that in you. Isn't that amazing? You have the mind of Christ. You have the capacity to think like Jesus. Look, at, we love the WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? WWJD. That's great, except you're not going to do what Jesus would do if you don't think what Jesus would think. It starts with the thinking. Have you ever wondered, how did Jesus think that way? How did Jesus think? Like, I think about this scenario. I think about that day that Jesus was on the beach, and his boys are out in the middle of the water in the lake in a boat. Jesus goes, I think I'm going to talk to my boys. And he starts walking over to talk to them. What, how did he think that he could walk on water? Who told him, hey, Jesus, you can walk on water? Who told him that? It had never been done before. There was no precedent. Jesus is just like, hey, my boys are out there. I think I want to go say hi. Starts walking on the water. Do you think like that? You say, well, no, I can't think. Yes, you can. Maybe we need to start thinking a little bigger. Maybe. You know, we think Jesus, how did Jesus do that stuff? You say, well, he was God. That's why he walked on the water. Yes, friends, he was God. But let me explain this to you. He laid that aside. Philippians chapter 2 makes it very clear that Jesus, although he was God, he did not consider that something to be grasped. He set that aside. So that as he walked this planet, friends, he lived it as a spirit-filled man of faith. See, if Jesus did the things that he did as God, he couldn't ask you and me to follow his example. Because he had an advantage that you and I did, wouldn't have, because none of us is God. So, see, I can't follow his example. If, but Jesus said, no, everything he did... He never stopped being God. Please don't hear me. I'm not, don't hear something I'm not saying. His, he is 100% man and 100% God. That doctrine is firmly in place. What I'm suggesting is that he laid it aside. He didn't use it to his advantage. I illustrate it like this. Let's say you're a billionaire. And you have a real heart for homeless people. And you're like, I really just want to get to know the homeless and be part of that. You know, I really want to minister to the homeless people. And so you decide that for six months, you want to live as a homeless person. So you, so you lock the door on your mansion. You put all your fancy cars in mothballs. You put your billions away. And you don the clothing, the humble clothing of a homeless person. And you begin to live as a homeless person on the streets. Do you stop being a billionaire because you're living on the streets as a homeless person? No, you're still a billionaire. You've just chosen to experience life as a homeless person. You've set your billions aside for that time. I'm saying that's what Jesus did. He never for a second stopped being God. He simply laid it aside so that he did not use his godness to his advantage. So that when Jesus functioned, he functioned as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, acting in faith. And when he says, hey, you can do the same thing I did, he meant it. You can do the same thing he did. In fact, Jesus says that I love this in the book of John. He says, you'll be able to do even greater things than I did. That's mind-blowing to me, to think that Jesus' heart for you and me is such. Amazing. So I come back to what made Jesus think he could walk on water? And maybe I need to think a little differently about life. Jesus says that he did what he did by faith. There's an example in the Bible where Jesus cursed a fig tree and it shriveled. And Jesus' guys were really amazed by that. Like, whoa, how'd you do that, Jesus? And Jesus says this to them. He says, uh, have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen... It'll be done for him. In other words, Jesus cursed that fig tree by faith. And he tells his boys, hey, you can do the same thing. In fact, if you really want to, you can move that mountain if you'd like. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but there's one thing I think I know about moving mountains. They don't move quickly. I'm, I'm thinking... I'm thinking by faith, you move the mountain, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's easy to move the mountain. 
But I wonder what mountains are imposing in your life. I wonder what mountain has you under its shadow. And you've just thought you were doomed to living under it. And it's time for you to start exercising faith. It's time for you to get the thought, the mindset of Jesus towards that thing. Because that's what I want. See, I, I live with a new normal now. I used to be a victim of the mountains, but I'm no longer that. Because I have this thing called faith. You know, we, we prayed the blue card today, and, uh, and, I and I'm so glad we could today because we started this in January. We printed those in January for the first time. And it's really just a way to be staying focused on the vision that God's given to us as a church. And we're just praying that together. Well, you know, I, I got a lot, I got some criticism back in January from somebody because of that card, because I was being presumptuous. How dare you be presumptuous? If two or three of you agree together, you see the verse on the back of that card? Jesus says, if two or three of you agree together, it'll be done for them. I was accused of presumption. Because, come on, you know it. it doesn't always, that always, doesn't always work out that way. Give up the fairy tale. Listen, I wasn't offended by the person. Just so you know that, I wasn't at all hurt or offended by them. I get it. I, I understand the disappointment. I've been, anybody thought for sure you were acting in faith and then it blew up in your face? Anybody there? Yes, we've all been there. I'm positive of it. So I get the disappointment. I do. But I've just decided this. I'm not going to let this disappointment dictate my beliefs. My beliefs are based on the Word of God, and God is faithful and He doesn't lie. And, and, my, and I'm just going to stick to that. If I let my disappointment dictate my beliefs, then guess what happens? I stop growing at my last disappointment. I never grow past it. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. So I hang on and I embrace the mystery because I don't get why sometimes it blows up in your face. Don't get that. But I know that the heart of Jesus is you keep pressing forward. My wife and I have been praying for something for the last three years. We've been praying for something together. And honestly, there are times when it's gotten worse. Have you ever had that happen? <laughs> God, I thought this was supposed to be getting better. <laughs> and it's hasn't. There's times it's gotten worse. And uh, I've had my moments with God where I've gotten mad at him and uh, taken my walks with him. Lord, what the heck? Why is this not? You know, I've had those moments. <laughs> Thankful that God's big enough to handle that. A couple weeks ago, I was praying my quiet time, and I heard the Lord say, do not withdraw your faith. Do not withdraw your faith. See, the kingdom of God, the invisible realm, it operates on faith. And we walk by faith and not by sight. And my faith is based on the word of God, not my experiences. And by faith, I put my shoulder to the mountain and I try to put, I push it by faith. And, and you realize... Take, it might take a lot. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants you to get disappointed. He wants you to get disillusioned and discouraged. He wants you to withdraw your faith. Because the moment you withdraw your faith, guess what happens to any momentum you had? Even if it was a little bit, it stops. Now I got to start all over again and start moving that mountain. The Lord says, oh, no, 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 do not withdraw your faith. I've learned this much about God's way. This is why we've got to get a new mindset, because God's way often does not work right away. Amen? I mean, like, that ought to be the biggest amen ever. God's way does not work right away. I mean, sometimes it does. We all love those. But 99% of the time, 
No. Think about it. God took 99 years to get Abraham ready to be a father. 99 years. I thought I was a bad dad. He must have been awful. Took him 99 years to get a kid. Right? 99 years. He took, he took 15 years to get Joseph ready to lead Egypt. He took, he took 40 years to get Moses ready to lead Israel. He took 40 more years in a desert to get Israel ready for the promised land. He took 13 years hiding in caves to get David ready to be the king. And he took thousands of years to get humanity ready for the Messiah. And you want God to fix your problem by tomorrow. <laughs> I don't think so, Holmes. <laughs> I mean, hey, great. If it does, we'll all party with you. Man, if tomorrow is breakthrough day for you, <laughs> call me. I want some ice cream. We're going to celebrate it. But otherwise, you know, we're just going to keep pressing forward. Do not withdraw your faith. See, that's the new mindset. To get a God-sized faith, I need a God-sized heart. And to get a God-sized heart, I've got to start thinking God-sized thoughts. One more little story, and then I close. Your obvious, your situation, though it's obvious, does not dictate your success. It's another part of a new mindset there. The story of Daniel comes to mind. You know the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, four Hebrew boys? They were taken as slaves. They were dragged from their home in Jerusalem and made slaves in the city of Babylon. And you know, in the Bible, Babylon is listed as one of like the worst cities ever. It's like the epitome of evil. You read Revelation, it's not good if the Bible calls you Babylon. So Babylon's bad. And yet, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego because of their prayer and their integrity changed that entire nation. King Nebuchadnezzar became a believer because Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and I can't even say their names, because those four guys stuck to their guns. And you know what else is even cooler? 400 years later, after they died, they're now dead, long time ago, 400 years. There's some pagan astrologers looking in the night sky. They see a weird star, and they go, hmm, I bet that star points to the Messiah, the newborn king of kings. We should go to Jerusalem and check that out. How did pagan astrologers living in Babylon get the word that a weird star would point to the Messiah? You know how 400 years later, 400 years earlier, you got some faithful boys praying, acting with integrity, serving, laying the groundwork. I think we have to begin to see that this is bigger than, bigger than just tomorrow, what happens tomorrow. This thing you and I are part of, this is breathtakingly huge. And we have the honor of being a part of it. That's a new mindset. See? And then when I do that, with a new motive, I'm motivated by God's mercy. I hope you haven't heard guilt today. You can do whatever you want, friend. I'm just telling you, God's goodness is a great motivation to me to run after him with everything I've got. And that's the second one. I got a new mission. And that leads to a new mindset. I'm going to start thinking the thoughts that he's got. I don't want a thought in my mind that God doesn't think. Many of us are defeated between the ears before we ever are defeated in our experiences in life. So, new mindset. <clears throat> and then I test. That's what enables me to test God's will. And eventually you will come to the place where you go, God's will is the best thing that could ever happen to somebody. Dang, that was good. What a surprise. That worked awesome. God's will is great. That's where he wants you to go. Because hear my friend, hear my heart. Your friends and your friends, they're less interested in knowing that Jesus is true. I mean, I believe Jesus is true with all my heart. You get that. I'm just saying that the world around us is probably less interested in knowing that Jesus is true. They're more interested in knowing, does Jesus work? They're watching you. They're seeing, does this Jesus guy, 
Is he changing you? Is he working in your life? Because if he's working in yours, maybe he can work in mine. Maybe he can take my mess-ups and do what he did with yours. And the answer, of course, is yes. That's why we want to test and approve that the will of God is good, pleasing, and perfect. It starts with a change of heart. And it just felt like we need to close with this song. It's an old song. Um, it's a prayer. It's a song that uh, for a long time, many years actually, I, I sang this song every morning in my time with the Lord because it was just like a regular prayer. And I hope that it becomes your prayer too. Just change my heart, oh God. Just change my heart. Give me, a, give me your perspective. Change the way I think, the way I feel, my attitudes. Change my heart, God. Make it ever true. Make me a man just like Jesus. That's the desire. I believe that the greatest way that I can love the Father is to be like Jesus. And the greatest way that I can be like Jesus is to love the Father. So let's make this our prayer. Change my heart, oh God. Maybe some of you this morning, you're, you're trapped in religion. You never thought that God could actually be enjoyable. And so I want to give you the opportunity this morning as we close to ask God to change your heart. God, I want to actually enjoy you, God. Not just go to church once in a while, but I actually really want to have an enjoyable, intimate connection with you, the God of the universe. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come to this altar as we close, as we sing here. And our team, we'd love to be, I'd love to be able to pray with you. We got folks that would love to pray with you and just kind of walk you through that. But I also want to challenge you this way. Here's a second challenge, and that's this. <clears throat> I, I really want you to test it out. It says test and approve the will of God. Test it. So what is it you've been questioning in your own life? And, and you're kind of mumbling through trying to do it on your own. And you say, okay, God, I'm done trying to do it on my own. I'm going to test your will in this situation. Maybe it's your dating life. You know, I know we got a number of singles here. You're like, man, would you test out God's will in your dating life? Say, God, I'm going to give you charge of it. Enough fooling around. I'm going to do it the way you want me to do it. Maybe it's in your marriage. God calls you to die to yourself, calls you to serve your spouse, be faithful to them. Okay, God, I'm going to do it your way, not my way. I don't know, whatever it is, whatever it is you're, you got. But I want to invite you this morning to come and say, okay, God, I'm going to test your will in this area in my life. And by that, I mean I'm going to go full on with it. I'm not going to dabble with it. I'm going to go full on with it. I'm convinced if you do, you'll discover. You'll approve it. You will approve it. You'll reach it. You'll get it. That worked. That worked. So, Lord, thank you. I invite you, Holy Spirit.